Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com I like to listen. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 160th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the life and afterlife of Boris Karloff, one of my favorite classic movie monster actors. Before we get into that, we'd love to have you check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And we did get some feedback on our witches in America. This person wanted to remain anonymous, but they did say that they wanted to thank us for giving it a real good historical and unbiased approach to tracing witchcraft in our country and looking into other magical traditions like powwow and Native American shamanism. So I just want to thank that individual for their comments. We got a comment from Barry said, I'm extremely excited to have discovered your podcast. I lived in Central Florida for 12 years and have been a paranormal investigator for 22 years, listening to your shows like making a mental connection back to Florida. Many of my favorite investigations are from the CFL area. What a joy to make my way through your archive of past shows. Keep up the great work, my lovely friends. Thanks so much for your comments, Bear. We greatly appreciate that. If you've been wanting to get something from the Emporium on Halloween, Spreadshirt is offering 20% off everything in the Emporium, and it's going to last all the way through November 6th. So from October 31st of 2016 to November 6th of 2016, 20% off everything in the Emporium. And the coupon code is SAVE20 now and that's in all caps we want to welcome to the spectacular crew heather hi heather steve hey steve Anne. hi Anne. andrew hello andrew tara with an h hey tara with an h akira hi akira Lindsay. hi Lindsay. Lori. hey Lori. ronan hello ronan liz with two z's hey liz with two z's annalyn hey annalyn yvonne hi yvonne andrea hey andrea and iad and iad hello bob was making a funny and spectacular crew and we had Anne and Andrew come in one right after the other. So he said, well, when are we going to welcome Drew? And I said, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, we had an Anne and an Andrew, so there must be a Drew coming. Because he put that in the spectacular crew, everybody started welcoming this mysterious Drew Drew person <laughs> who actually did not join us. So we're looking for a Drew. If you'd like to join us, Drew, come on in. Well, we might have a Drew. He might be like a shadow figure or something. You don't know. Great. We have shadow people in the spectacular crew now. Whoop, whoop. All right, Denise, are you ready to talk about Boris Karloff? I most definitely am. Let's do it. Okay. Become an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast for as little as a buck a month. 
For $5 a month, you can access exclusive content like the Haunted True Crime bonus cast. And for $10 and above a month, you get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash historygoesbump for more information. Or you can give us a one-time donation by clicking the donate button at historygoesbump.com. History is full of oddities, curiosities, mysteries, and the truly bizarre. Welcome to This Moment in Oddity. Did you know that there's a place in Northern Ireland that could be considered the land of the giants? Before you go thinking that some kind of fairy tale is going live in Ireland, we have to tell you that it's a genetic thing. When a tumor grows on the pituitary gland, it tends to lead to a disorder called acromegaly or gigantism. You are probably familiar with famous giants from the past like Alton, Illinois' Robert Wadlow. In Mid-Ulster, Ireland, about 1 in 150 people carry a genetic mutation to the AIP gene that leads to an overproduction of growth hormone. The gene traces back 2,500 years, and this is the highest proportion of people in the world to have the gene. And while giants and fairy tales are powerful and sometimes scary, modern-day giants are generally debilitated by the disease and it leads to early death. Ireland is rich in folklore, so it seems only fitting that the land of giants would be found here. A hotspot for giants centered in one small area of the planet certainly is odd. Scared yet? Boo! <laughs> this Day in History On this day, October 29th, in 1929, the worst stock market crash in history occurs and becomes known as Black Tuesday, launching the Great Depression. The Roaring Twenties had ushered in a time of opulence and prosperity. Overproduction in the agricultural sector and excessive speculation helped usher in the beginning of the crash in October of 1929. The slide started on Black Thursday, October 24th, with the stock market losing 11% of its value right after opening. The sell-off continued into Monday with a further loss of 13%. The complete crash came the next day on Black Tuesday. There was a record trading of stocks that would last until broken 40 years later, and an additional loss of 12% occurred. That day, $14 billion was lost. The Great Depression would follow and last for 10 years, marking the worst financial crisis of the 20th century. The stock market crash was not the only factor leading to the Great Depression, but it helped catapult the economy into the inevitable. Joe from Curioso Podcast. It's the week of Halloween, so get in the spirit with History Goes Bump.
Boris Karloff was a man of many talents who made a name for himself on stage and screen. Fame eluded him until he stepped into the heavy boots of the classic movie monster known as Frankenstein's Monster. It was a role that Karloff would not even be credited with, but it launched him into more horror films as he became an overnight sensation. He would do many things in his career, including providing the voice of the narrator and the Grinch in the 1966 classic holiday cartoon, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And it would seem that a part of him continues in the afterlife as well. Join us as we explore the life and afterlife of Boris Karloff. William Henry Pratt was Boris Karloff's birth name, and he was born on November 23, 1887, in East Dulwich, London. He was the youngest of nine children and grew up in Enfield. His mother passed away, and his siblings basically raised him. When he'd grown up, he decided to attend King's College in London. It was expected that he would follow his brother, Sir John Thomas Pratt, into the British Foreign Service. Fate had other plans, and Karloff dropped out of college in 1909, and he decided to go for a change of scenery in Canada. He found himself working in hard labor, and he injured his back, and he would suffer from back issues his entire life. Karloff had always wanted to be an actor, and he decided to join an Ontario-based touring company of actors. He got into the troupe by lying and telling them that he was an experienced British actor. He had the accent, so why wouldn't they believe him? It was while this troupe traveled the United States that William Pratt would become Boris Karloff. Karloff wanted an exotic-sounding name, and he thought Boris fit the bill. Karloff was a derivative of Karlov, which had been an old family surname. There are those who claim that he changed his name to prevent embarrassment for his siblings, and he figured they would disapprove of his profession. Karloff decided that he wanted to move from the stage to the screen, and he headed to Hollywood. He was broke when he arrived and willing to do any part offered him. He initially found bit parts in silent films. He was usually typecast as a dark, brooding, mysterious figure because of his Anglo-Indian complexion and his heavy-lidded eyes. These parts were generally mystics and Native American warriors. The first paranormal type film he appeared in was in 1925's The Bells. He played a mesmerist. The bit parts were coming fewer and far between, and soon Karloff was having to work menial jobs to make ends meet. He was beginning to think that he would never become a star. Things started looking up in 1931 when he got a good part in a movie that was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture, Five Star Final. And then came the movie that would make him a star, and that was Frankenstein. Universal Studios wanted Bella Lugosi to play the monster in the film. Lugosi had just made the movie Dracula a smash hit the year before, taking his stage performance of Dracula to the big screen. Lugosi was offered the part, but in a decision that he would later regret, he passed on it because it was not a speaking part. He also was not interested in having to wear all the makeup that it would take to become the character. The makeup sessions were so brutal, in fact, that Karloff would become one of the founders of the Screen Actors Guild to fight for safe working conditions for actors. Karloff ended up landing the role of the monster after a chance meeting with the movie's director, James Whale, at a studio commissary. He asked Whale if he could do a screen test. Obviously, Well decided to cast Karloff, who was a perfect fit for the part. 
Carla worked for weeks with makeup director Jack Pierce refining never-before-done techniques to bring the monster to life. A brace was made that would force him to walk in an upright and stiff gait. Despite having no speaking parts, Karloff conveyed all the emotions that causes the audience to feel empathy for the creature. He would reprise the role in two more movies, and he referred to the monster as the best friend he ever had. Fun fact, Karloff did not get billing in the movie Frankenstein. The star of the movie was British actor Colin Clive, who played Dr. Frankenstein. Mae Clark played the bride of Frankenstein, and she got second billing. When the monster's character's name came up in the credits, Karloff's name was omitted, and there was a question mark in its place. You can imagine that that's how you know he wasn't a really big actor at the time, because no big actor would have allowed them to just put a question mark. Absolutely (laughs) not. Jack Pierce, what a great makeup artist he was. He was basically Universal Studios' monster maker, and he created and designed all the iconic makeup for the Frankenstein, the mummy, the wolfman, so he collaborated with Boris Karloff a lot. And there were hours and hours spent in that chair. It's just, it was very grueling to have to go through what he did back then. And of course, the makeup that they used at the time wasn't necessarily the safe kind of makeup that they use today. Right. Well, if it caused him to start pushing for the safety for the actors, like you can imagine, I can't even imagine what happened to the poor guy. There's an indentation on uh, the Frankenstein monster's face. Do you know how they created that? Um, No, I don't. Boris Karloff had a dental plate and he took it out. So it was basically he didn't have his bridge or whatever over there. So it made his cheeks sink in. Oh, okay. Well, that's creative. Yeah. The horror movie roles continued and Karloff played monsters and madmen and became the king of classic horror. Lugosi was always a rival for that position, but Karloff edged him out. And a lot of people think that they didn't get along with each other, but they actually did. They didn't have any animosity. I've heard both of their children being interviewed, and they're actually really good friends as well. And they said there was no animosity with their fathers. The films that followed Frankenstein were The Mummy in 1931, The Mask of Fu Manchu in 1932, The Bride of Frankenstein in 1935, Isle of the Dead in 1945, and The Body Snatcher in 1945. Karloff finally returned to London in 1933 to make the movie The Ghoul. He was nervous about seeing his family because he thought they'd be ashamed of him. His brother John told him that he better save his money because the acting wouldn't last, but all the siblings were proud of his success and jockeyed for position to be in pictures with him. So when he got famous with Frankenstein, all of a sudden it was like, well, maybe our brother's not that (laughs) stupid doing that acting thing over there in America. It wasn't just horror films that Karloff starred in through the next four decades. He would do drama and comedy as well. He also played the part of the Chinese detective, Mr. Wong, in three features and a heroic doctor wrongly imprisoned on Devil's Island. In the 1940s, he took Broadway by storm in Arsenic and Old Lace. Karloff earned a Tony nomination for The Lark and in 1952 playing the part of the bishop who orchestrated the execution of Joan of Arc. And he lent his unique pipes to radio comedies and dramas. He even entranced a new audience of young viewers with his narration in the CBS television special, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, in 1966. He earned a Grammy nomination for the soundtrack LP. Every Christmas, he dresses Santa Claus to hand out gifts to children in the hospital over the holidays. He was dedicated to several charities. His health declined dramatically in the 1960s as emphysema forced him to carry oxygen around with him, and he could not stand for long periods. He had married for the first time in 1910. That would end in divorce, and he would marry four more times. It was during his fourth marriage to Dorothy Stein that his daughter Sarah was born. Not much is known about his personal life. He was a very private man. He loved cricket and gardening. 
His daughter Sarah said, quote, he adored the game of cricket. He thought he'd died and gone to heaven when he could do a five-day cricket match and have smoked salmon and cucumber sandwiches, end quote. The movies he made in the latter part of the 1960s were forgettable, and most were low-budget horror flicks made in Mexico. It was in his final decade that he finally settled down in England and lived between his flat in London and his beloved cottage in the countryside, Roundabout. This cottage is located in Bramshot, England. His health continued to decline and he was hospitalized with pneumonia in 1969. He died from that illness on February 2nd, 1969 at the age of 81. He was cremated and his remains were buried at Guilford Crematorium Garden of Remembrance. There is no marker. After his death, his illustrated likeness served as the sinister host for the comic book series Boris Karloff's Tales of Mystery that ran for two decades. In 1997, his depictions of the monster and the mummy were commemorated on a U.S. postage stamp series celebrating classic movie creatures. He also was awarded two stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for his work in motion pictures and television. Do any other people have two stars on the Walk of Fame? There are several. I okay. can't really come up with any on the top of my head, but there you get separate stars for film. There's separate stars for movies, separate stars for, I believe, music maybe on there too as well. Okay. So you can get several of them depending upon if you've accomplished a lot in each of those different segments. Okay, that's that's interesting. I never knew that. So very cool. And there is a little bit of a marker at that Garden of Remembrance, but it's, you know, when you go into a cemetery and they haven't put the tombstone up yet and it just has a little placard, like plastic thing sitting there with a name on a card, basically. Yeah. That's kind of like what he has. And it's in front of a tree. So I don't know if the tree is supposed to be kind of his marker. I'm not sure. But it just seems very unusual to me that he doesn't have. I don't know. It seems like it should have been glorious. But I think that just goes to show what kind of a man he was. He was very humble. And if you think the kind of fame that he got when he was at the height of the Universal Monster movies. And then at the end of his career, he was working in these low-budget horror flicks. And there was even one of the movies that he was in, I believe it was about his life. And he did like two days where he was hired for two days, which means I think they paid him for two days, but he acted throughout the entire film. So I did. I think he did most of it for free just because he loved acting that much. Oh, wow. So he didn't care about the money or the fame. It was about acting for him. That's probably why he was such a good actor. And it's so fun whenever you talk about whether it's in music or in acting, when you say somebody's an overnight success, everybody knows that there is no such thing as an overnight success. It takes a lot of work and usually you've been doing it for a long time. He was working odd jobs trying to pay the bills while he was doing all these little bit parts and while we call him an overnight success because basically he was since nobody knew who he was and then Frankenstein comes out and everybody knows who he is. But he was doing this for many, many years before that. But that was not the end of Boris Karloff. His spirit still seems to remain in the afterlife. Bramshot Village is in Hampshire and this is where Karloff's roundabout cottage is located. The cottage was given that name because its back is to the road. It was built in the 18th century, probably around 1750. It's two stories and built from red brick with two rooms. His apparition has been seen in the home, and any unexplained occurrences have been credited with him. But there are claims that the cottage was haunted by a tall, dark figure even before Karloff died. Some claim that he moved to this village and this home because of the paranormal activity. Bramshot Village is considered to be one of the most haunted villages in England, and this is for many of the same reasons as Pluckley Village. Battles came through here, as did the Black Death. A large tree in the center of the village was the hanging ground. 
Karloff's spirit has ventured out into the village as well. Many people claim to have seen him walking on the street and between buildings. Does Boris Karloff still remain in the afterlife? Is he haunting Branshot Village? That is for you to decide. And we have a list of 10 Karloff films to watch in the show notes. Number one, of course, if you have not seen the 1931 Frankenstein, I highly suggest that you do so. It's a great film. And the key thing is the reason why Bella Lugosi was kicking himself because he didn't star in that film is not only was it big, huge, but even though there were no talking parts in it, there was a lot of acting in it. Because if you can't speak, you better be able to act. When you're a kid and you're hearing about this Frankenstein's monster and you see this big lugging brute who seems almost mindless, you're thinking, oh, well, there's no humanity in that creature. And yet he shows a lot of humanity. And unfortunately, he just doesn't know his own strength. And so when he does hurt people, that's why. The Mummy, definitely another great movie. Wonderful makeup done in that one as well. And that took hours and hours. And a lot of it was done with cotton being stuck to Karloff's body. The Black Room in 1935. The Raven, 1935. That's a mixture of Karloff and Poe. You got to love that. The Man Who Changed His Mind in 1936. The Ape from 1940. Bedlam, which came out in 1946. The Sorcerers, which came out in 1967. Targets also came out in 1967. Invasion Siniestra, which came out in 1971 and was basically one of the last movies that he ever made an appearance in. And Diane's probably going to have a heart attack, but I've seen, da, 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 wait for it, one of them. <laughs> well, we have two of them, so you can see the mummy. Oh, cool. And of course, these are as scary as scary was back then. The thing I like about classic movies, because a lot of people know that I tend to lean more that way, even though they may not have been necessarily the best written, the best acted. I like it when you create atmosphere. A film should take you to where it is. And I just love the atmosphere. I've always had a preference for black and white. I think it just films look better in black and white. Even our modern day films, I think, would look better in black and white. Just gives it more depth. Proof of that is if you look at HD on Turner Classic Movies, it just feels like it's in 3D and you're not even actually watching 3D. It's just the black and white helps it to look kind of three-dimensional. And I am not a gore person, so I just I don't like a lot of blood. I think if you're putting a lot of blood in your movie, there's probably something missing if you have to put that much gore in there. So. Exactly. And I, I tend to like, well, I saw Frankenstein, but... I'll see bits and pieces of movies. I guess I should say I haven't seen the whole ones through, but I like the classic horror as well because it's not quite as jump scare. It, it's more, it builds the story more. Yeah, and it's just, I, I like the odd and the unique and these creatures are classic creatures that go back into our old folklore and all that good stuff. Our next episode, of course, is going to be the Halloween special for 2016. We've got some great stories from the listeners to share with all of you. And then we jump into November. And we're going to be bringing you those seven episodes. So if you like all of the episodes that we've been bringing you in October, well, that's what we want to do full time. So once we get to where we can be doing that full time, we will be cranking out 10 episodes a month for you guys. And we do have a review over at iTunes. This is from Nondescript3. Five stars. Wow. Just amazing. I am new to the podcast world. I have a 90-minute commute every day for work and used to listen to books on tape. My husband suggested podcasts because I was complaining about not having anything new to listen to. I was skeptical because I thought I wouldn't find anything that would pique my interest. Then I found you. 
The show has the right amount of humor and the research put into each episode shines through. I've just started digging in the archives and every episode I've enjoyed. Keep up the great work, ladies, and you've gained yourselves another dedicated follower. Well, thanks so much for that, Nondescript. We appreciate it. We want to thank you for listening to this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Thanks. Want to keep the spooks away? Give us a review.